Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another InventRight live Q&A stream. Boy, that's a wordy statement. Um, I see you guys have great questions typed in already. I was just taking a look at those before I went on. So good on you guys. Keep the questions coming in. Um, so my name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over two decades ago. So we spent over 20 years coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products, and we're, we're very good at it. We've been doing it for a really long time. And I've been doing these Q&As on YouTube for quite some time now. So if you haven't joined me, um, you know, I think you're I think you're going to enjoy all the answers that I give and the questions that you guys ask, because you guys ask great questions. If you're noticing, I don't have the InventRight backdrop. Um, I'm going to be upgrading it. So I took down the InventRight backdrop with all the InventRight logos on it. I'm going to put up um, so this nice dark gray wallpaper with acrylic shelves that are going to house I, I burnt myself there uh, with acrylic um, shelves that are going to house our students' um, products on the shelves. And it'll be really cool. It'll be behind. I'm probably going to push the camera back forward and you're going to see students' products back here that I've licensed um, that are our students. So um, that'll be really cool. But for right now, it's just this boring background with a little old fashioned. Uh, <laughs> my house was built, I don't know, 25 years ago or something. So they used to put those things in. Um, but, oh, so, um, basically what we're going to be doing today is talking about licensing. So what is licensing? I always like to say that at the beginning of one of these Q and A sessions, um, it's their money. So when you license your product to a big company, it's their money, it's their workforce, it's their distribution. If they're in 30,000 stores, hopefully you're in 30,000 stores. So you don't need to raise money. You don't need to manufacture the product. You don't need to hire employees. When you license to that big company, you are that big company in a way, or your product is with that big company. Um, so you don't need to go on some silly TV show. You don't need to raise money from vulture capitalists. Some people call them venture capitalists. I call them vulture capitalists. Um, and you can license your product. And you can dream big because these companies are big. You know, For them to sell huge numbers of units, it's normal. For you to do that, it'd be very, very difficult. So it's a beautiful thing about licensing. Other thing before I get started, because I did see a couple legal type patent questions in here. Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult the attorney, an attorney before moving forward with anything. Um, I'm just giving like general business advice. So, okay, so let's get going, guys. Start typing some more questions in. Um, thank you, Diane. I, you had a question I didn't get, so hopefully I'll, I'll read your other answer. We can expand on that. So let's just start with Kevin from the top here. Uh, hi, Andrew. I'm writing a PPA and was worried, wondering about, not worried about, although inventors do worry about stuff, right, which is normal, um, was wondering about the line drawings. I assume that anything that strengthens your claim is always beneficial, but why then are they optional and not mandatory? So provisional patents were set up so that the layman can do it, so the average person on the street can do it. You can write it in common English. You can use pictures. You can use hand drawings. You can. There are no rules with provisional patents, um, so you don't have to do drawings, but they're incredibly beneficial. Because if you miss something, if you are writing about what you're covering or wanting to protect in a provisional patent application, and you missed it, but you have a picture, hand drawing, or a picture. By the way, you could you could take a picture. You can include that. You could do a hand drawing. You can do anything you want with a provisional patent application. But if you're like, oh, but they're in that picture or they're in that drawing, I did include that. 
and you forgot to cover it in writing. So that's why you write, Kevin, it's very beneficial to include drawings. And you're saying, why aren't they mandatory? Well, the patent offices give given the average person the ability without all the restrictions to file a provisional patent without any technical specifications required. Now, it doesn't mean you don't want to do it. And we heavily advise people to include pictures or drawings in your provisional patent for the reason that I just said, is if you miss something in what you wrote, you can re still reference that picture possibly and get that priority date. Now realize a provisional patent application is just that. It's a provisional patent application. Attorneys always correct us when we don't say that correctly. And in this sense, sometimes I think they're being too anal retentive, but in this case, I think they're right. It's not a patent. It's a provisional, you, people call it a provisional patent, but there is really no such thing as a provisional patent. It's a provisional patent application. If you don't later file a utility and reference your provisional, you won't get protection from that date. So it's not a patent. It will never get issued. You're going to later file a provisional if you get interest from a company using our approach, then cite that provisional patent, and you'll be protected from the date that you file it. So it's a placeholder in time. So it's not a provisional patent. It's a provisional patent application. If you don't later file a utility, you won't get protection from that date. Um, let's see. Hi, Andrew. J. Bell here. Last week, you mentioned the InventRight Design Studio. Can you tell us more about it? What's the fee? What's the process of working with them? So um, our design studio at InventRight was always meant before to just be used by our students. So a coach would work with the student on their sell sheet, which is a one-page PDF um, uh, advertisement, basically, for your product. And the coach would work what the benefit statement is, what the bullet points are, um, what the picture should be. And, and it, it may look terrible, but it has all the right bones because the coach would help the inventor to make sure that's all correct. And hopefully in the future, then the student learns and they're like, oh, no, I know how to do a good sell sheet now. Because most of you don't. Most of you suck at sell sheets. Whenever I see sell sheets from non-invent right students from inventors, um, I saw one just earlier today and I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Now, sometimes I see ones that are like, OK, you don't want OK. You want them to get your product in six seconds. And this one I was looking at today, without a doubt, did not accomplish that even remotely. So you need them to understand your product in six seconds. So the coach, the InventRight coach, knows how to guide one of our students to, to do that, to do a good benefit statement, good bullet points. Or when you look at the big benefit and statement and words and you look at the picture, you're like, oh, I get it. You know, that's not easy to do. So I'm not beating you guys up because it's not easy to do. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. And then the inventor would send that to our design studio. And our design studio is just responsible. It's not a marketing team. Your coach is your marketing team at InventRight. Um, the design studio would then make it pretty. It would make it beautiful. And I've seen some amazing sell sheets from design studio. The samples we actually have up on our website, um, don't they're not nearly what we send our students, if you ask me. Um, but we can't put our students' products up because everything our students share with us is confidential, short. Now, a while back, we decided to make the design studio public. Um, I had hesitations about that. Stephen wanted to do it, and I agreed to it, and I think it was fine. But here's the downside. If you send our design studio or any graphic designer, for that fact, um, terrible marketing, they'll just make it a pretty piece of junk. And I would say that includes our design studio because our designers are designers. They're not marketers. 
And so they'll just make it pretty. So I don't care where you go. Most graphic designers aren't going to do the marketing for you. So um, if you don't do a good job doing the marketing and then sending it to a designer or sending it to a design studio, it's just going to be a pretty piece of junk. It'll look pretty, but it will still be confusing, right? And so we started doing it publicly. So if you go to InventRight and you go to other services, you can find that, um, JBell, and you can find more information about the design studio. And we do virtual prototypes and we do um, sell sheets, but it's included with our coaching program. So it's already included with our coaching program. But if you're a non-student, you can get it separately. But word of caution, if you suck at marketing or you're not good at it yet, everybody sucks at something at some point before they get better at it. So don't worry about that. But if you send marketing you think is good, because in your mind you thought it was good, or your spouse said it was good, but they're just as bad as you, well, then it's just going to be a pretty piece of junk, no matter who you send it to. So you need somebody to help you with your marketing. So that's the difference. Sorry to ramble so much on that, guys. Um, uh, Caleb said, hey, Andrew, what stops a company I pitched to from filing their own PPA with my idea the day after they see mine, and I fail to license my idea before the, before the PPA expires? Okay, so I've had the, I've heard this question, and I think it's a common sense question, but I've never ever seen that happen, Caleb. So what's Caleb saying is, look, the provisional patent gives me a year to fish off the pier and see if there's any interest. And hey, if a company shows interest, either I or they will pay for the patent, and that's that's the invent right way. But what if the the company the day after, which I've never seen happen, but that I'm aware of, the day after I sent it to them, I got my provisional patent, so I got my placeholder in time but then they file one like a week later, let's say, okay? And I move forward, they tell me no, or they're non-responsive or whatever. And, and then mine expires, and now they're trying to take my. I've never seen that happen. That's one of those things that is logical, if you're new to this, to say it. I think it's, it's logical, Caleb, that you would bring that up, but I just don't see it happening. They don't want that liability. And if you think about it, they're not the first true inventor to file. You actually filed before and you got a paper trail on what you showed them and when. So that would be put them between a rock and a hard place. But you're right. Your provisional patent's expired. But then if you're just privately disclosing to companies, you could file that provisional patent again. Now, it won't continue from that original date. But these are weird things that people think that just don't happen. Theoretically, Caleb, that could be a problem. But you know what a problem really is? You not approaching any companies because you're worried about something stupid like that. Now, I'm not calling you stupid and I'm not calling that thought stupid. I think a ton of other people have that exact same thought. I'm not doing that at all. What I'm saying is it would be stupid to be worried about that and then not approach companies or, oh, well, I'll just approach these two or three companies instead of the 20 or 30 companies. What I can tell you, which is valuable, having done this for over two decades with InventRight, I can tell you it doesn't friggin' happen. It doesn't happen. Now, there are a few really brutal industries like packaging my business partner is in, you know, because they're making bazillions of like toothpaste tubes or whatever it is, right? Those guys will try to figure out a way around you if they can. But if it's a kitchen gadget, if it's an automotive accessory, if it's most of the stuff that you guys are working on, you should not be overly concerned. Now, if it wasn't a brutal industry and you got some traction and you're coming up upon, upon that year, you can file a full utility, but you don't want to be doing that if you haven't got any interest. I mean, you could spend the 10 grand or the eight grand or whatever it costs to get you a patent. That's on the cheap side, by the way, guys. 
And you could go, well, there's there's some lingering interest here. And I still want to do this and I'll put all that money down now. But at least it gave you the year to go fishing. But would you would I recommend if you're doing that, if it didn't get any traction? My God, no. How many times are you going to do that before you go broke? You know, maybe move on to the next idea. Maybe refile the provisional again. You'll get another year. You won't get a year from the original date. You get another year from your new date. And allows you to legally say patent pending on your application. Now, I know earlier I said a, a provisional patent application is not a patent. But here's the cool thing. Um, you can legally say, according to the patent office, when you file the provisional patent and you show a company your marketing materials, you can legally say patent pending. You don't have to put provisional patent pending in small letters at the bottom of your cell sheet. Small letters, by the way, no big, huge. That's a rookie move. Big, huge letters, patent pending. You're proud of it. You know, don't do that. It looks paranoid. But small letters, patent pending, you can legally do that, even though I told you it wasn't uh, a patent, but it is patent pending, just like a regular patent app- patent application, a provisional patent application, still le- legally say patent pending. So, Caleb, um, perfectly legit question. I'm sure other people have that worry, too. I would, too, if I was just starting out. I'm telling you, man, it's really so unlikely something could happen. But do you want to go by what could happen or do you want to talk to a guy that's been doing this for over two decades and has had students in 65 countries and say, we've literally never seen that be a problem, but it could. So again, what I'm sharing with you is not legal advice. I'm just sharing you a practical look at it. What is much more common is inventors out of their own fears, this and many others, do not move forward. They do not approach companies. Most inventors rip themselves off. They don't get ripped off by others out of their own fear. Um, So, Caleb, great question. Everybody else is probably worried thinking about that. And if they weren't thinking about it, they're like, oh, that is a good question because it's a great question. Um, Okay, Diane said, evening, Andrew. Please tell if licensing out an idea, do we need a website or just a domain? You don't need either's. Either uh, a domain is um, it's just a website URL like inventlerate.com. So she's saying basically, do I actually need to put a website up and put all my product up there and stuff, or can I just use um, dianewilson.com? Let's say if you dianewilsondesigns.com is your website, you don't need either. You do not need a website. You do not need a domain. What I would do to create a professional appearance, Diane, is just do dianewilsondesigns at Gmail. Looks very professional. Don't do happy beach at Gmail. That's very unprofessional. And then your email signature is Diane Wilson, product developer, Diane Wilson designs at Gmail, and you're good to go. And your 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 um, phone number could be your uh, cell phone. Okay. And now don't have kids screaming on that cell phone. Typically, we don't do that these days. Usually, when people use their home phone numbers back in the day, doing this for a long time, um, they'll. When they use their home phone numbers, they'll have kids screaming, hey, this is so-and-so, and this is little Joey, and this is that. You don't want that. Okay, so just say this is Diane Wilson with uh, Diane Wilson Designs. Sorry, I couldn't pick up the phone. And your friends and family, they heard you say it was Diane. They know your voice. So that's not going to create a problem, but it's still professional if they call, which they almost never call, by the way. They almost always email. It's very rare that they would call. I would say when a company shows interest, to have them pick up the phone and call you, I don't know, maybe 3 or 4% at most they're going to email you back. Okay. So don't worry too much about the voicemail thing, but, but anyway, okay. So getting back to her question, do I need a website? Absolutely freaking not. You know, when you, when you, 
being a little silly there. When you approach companies, a one-page PDF that you email or a short 30 to 60-second video, YouTube video, unlisted so nobody can see it, so essentially private, is fine. They don't have time to dig through a website. When I do see people with websites, guess what I normally do? I have them create a sales sheet because they don't have time for that. That you can't go on a website usually. I've seen a few, or the and you don't want to make that public disclosure either. You want to privately show this to potential licensees. But when I do go on websites, very rarely it's like boom, I get it in six seconds, like a sell sheet. Too much junk, too much stuff to click around on, go to the wrong place. You want to funnel them right where you want them looking at at your sell sheet or your video. Okay, so um, definitely don't need a website, don't need a domain. Don't need to get to dianewilsondesigns.com so it looks more professional. Just do dianewilsondesigns at Gmail. Okay, now if you want to, you can do that, not utilize. But I always kind of trip out when I see people with their own domain names. And then I go to the website and there is no website. It's just like, oh, you know, it's just kind of a little confusing. So I'd say don't, Diane, don't even bother with it. Um, let's see. Okay, Redu, Redu, uh, hi, Andrew. If your design concept requires a complex internal mechanism to function, for example, a tool with moving parts inside, is it important to completely engineer the product before filing a PPA, contacting and contacting companies, question mark? Or can you reach out to companies with a general idea, but let them work out the technical aspect, how much engineering is required on the inventor's part? So it's going to depend on the product, but most of the time... So let's say you have a really complex product type. Okay, let's say it's electronic or something. It's more complex. And you don't understand even how the whole thing works, but your piece of it is a physical, mechanical thing. You put a hinge on it on the side or it moved like this. Do you need to understand that whole product? Hell no, you don't. You need to understand your piece of it, your change. Now, you can even not understand that. So let's say it's because electronic products are more complicated, but let's say it's an electronic product. And you're like, I don't know how circuit boards work. I don't know how this or that works, but I do see some products that have a thing that beeps here and then notifies you here or this and that. So you find similar products. It could be for a completely different purpose. And when you tell them, well, when they ask you, well, how do we make this? Like you just pitch the benefits of the product. You're right. So Radu, you're right. You pitch the benefits of the product because what you are selling is not the engineering. It's not a prototype. It's the benefit of the product. So if it makes it easier to cut vegetables, that's what you're pitching. So you're not sharing all these little details about the inner workings with them anyway. You're going fishing and getting interest. So let's say it was a more complex product than like a kitchen cutting board. And they had questions about how this thing would be engineered. You could say, well, there's that and that, and it sells for $29.85, and I'm just making this change. So by citing products that might not be doing the same thing, but kind of the same thing, like kind of like has the same number of mechanism that makes a beep or a boop or something like that. Okay, I'm being ridiculous now, but you get the idea. And you're like, well, they can make that for $29.85. I'm just changing how it works a little bit like this. And they're like, oh, oh okay, yeah. So now we know we can do it. You know, so no, my God, to completely engineer a complex product with many moving parts, go fishing and get the interest. Here's the litmus test. If you believe that, you know, they can make it by looking at similar products, like you're not telling them, look, you're going to you're going to create this robot that jumps up on the roof and shingles your house for you. So 
men don't need to sweat in the hot heat and fall off the roof and, you know, cost you workman's comp. And when they say, well, that sounds great. How do we do that? And you're like, I don't know. It's a good idea. That's that's crazy, wacky inventor territory, right? When you're doing that. But when you say, well, there's that and that. I'm just making this change. You're like, oh, okay. You know, that's, that shows us it's, it's doable. So don't, I'm not telling you to get into the wacky inventor territory and come up with ridiculous concepts that you can't cite similar products and you have no idea can be made. But a lot of products you're like, oh, I, it has a couple mechanisms, but I'm pretty certain that they can make this. Somebody that's confident can make it. And then, then you can move forward and just sell the benefit of the product. Okay. And otherwise, I mean, if you file a patent and make this complex prototype, every company can come up with an idea and then nobody's interested in that one. Nobody's interested in the second one. Why would you risk that much money? I'll tell you why people do it because they, because they just, oh, but I believe in it. I believe in it. It's like, well, that's great that you believe in it, but do you want to risk that much financially? And it's completely not necessary in order to get interest. So why would you do that? Okay. Um, okay, Tiffany, these are, you guys have fantastic questions today, by the way. And I feel really conscious about my terribly boring background. But next Monday, you're going to have this beautiful gray wallpaper, acrylic shelves with a whole bunch of our students' products. I'm going to push the camera back. And you'll be able to see a whole bunch of them over here. We'll move it over so you don't see that thing. So I'm really looking forward to that. But that's just me being weird. So um, <laughs> Tiffany said, when licensing your idea out to a company, do you have to have a trademark you want to use, an LLC, et cetera? Okay, so that's really two questions. Let's address the trademark first. So my God, no. I mean, the vast majority of the time, they're not going to want to name it the same thing that you wanted to name it. And most of our students, they're like, hey, as long as the checks are in my name, they can name it something else. I'm perfectly fine with that. So do not fall in love with your name. Um for your product. You can have it on the sell sheet. That's fine. But if they sense like you're not willing to change a color or the name of the product, my God, they're going to be like, we really like this product, but this Tiffany's getting weird on us. You know, she's going to be really difficult to deal with. So you don't want to do that. So um, you don't want to run out and spend all the money on a trademark. So again, everything I share with you today is not legal advice. Consult your attorney before you, you move forward to anything. But if they're going to change it the vast majority of the time, why would you file a trademark? Now, here's the cool thing. Um, there's two types of trademarks. There's a common law trademark and a registered trademark. Common law is a little TM with a circle around it. And the registered is the R with a circle around it. TM, the common law trademark, is completely free. So you can put on your sell sheet next to the name of the trademark, TM with a circle around it, putting them on notice you intend on using it. Now, it's a long story about trademarks and how that works, but... Trademarks don't actually really protect you unless you use them in commerce. Now, InventRight has had a common law trademark for 18 years, and we only filed a registered trademark like two years ago, you know, because we used it in commerce. So when we used it in commerce, anybody that's doing inventor coaching that try to use InventRight, we would kick their butt. We'd just go, here's the paper trail, and we didn't even have to file a registered trademark. Now, with you guys, when you're licensing, you're not going to have been using your product in commerce, you know, but it's still kind of putting them on notice. Look, we intend on using this thing. Okay. So to spend all the money with the trademark attorney, knowing that most of the time they're going to end up changing the name, you can do that. You can go out and file a registered trademark, have an attorney file it, and it creates a little bit 
more of a paper trail on that as opposed to you just selling in commerce or if you're not selling in commerce at all. So it does give you additional protection, but is it worth it when they're going to change the name nine times out of 10? No, from a practical perspective, it's totally not. So, but if you really get some traction on it, then you can go register it, you know, and pay for that. If you, they're like, well, we, and not just getting traction on the product, but they're like, oh, and we really love the name, you know? And then a company's not going to go, I've never had a student where the company liked the name, which they do sometimes. And they're like, oh, we're just going to register this and you're not going to be able to use it. We're going to steal the red trademark away from you. I've never seen that happen. Um, so the other part of Tiffany's question is the LLC part. Um, most of our students, they'll file an LLC or a corporation when they do a deal with a company. You never want to do a deal under your own name. But until you get a deal on the table, you could wait to do the LLC. And most of our students do. So most of our students file an LLC, um, you know, like when they're in the midst of towards the very tail end of a deal. And you tell the company, oh, look, I got this LLC, I want to do it in here. They don't care. They just want your product. They're not going to be like, why did you do this uh, Tiff Tiffany Adrian Designs? You said in your signature before, and now you're wanting to do Tiff Tiffany Designs LLC. What's going on? Like, they don't care. They really don't care. So you, that's something you can do later. But again, I always say contact your legal advisor if you want legal advice. It's not legal advice. Um, uh, Daniel, you guys got great questions. Uh, can you elaborate on any negative effects by filing the same PPA within the 12-month period of the first PPA other than the cost? No, I think it's nothing but positive effects. You can So if you file a PPA... Let's say you filed a PPA six months ago, okay? And in there it has A and B. So that's what you're protecting, A and B. And you're like, today you reached out to a company, they had they didn't like something about it, and you're like, hmm, let me see if I can fix this one example. Let me let me if I fix that, can I get that back to you? Can I send you another version? They're like, oh sure, I don't know how you're gonna fix that, but and you come up with an idea and you're like, ooh, I know how to fix what they don't like about this product. And so you're like, but before I show it to them, I'm going to file another provisional. So you can take that provisional you filed six months ago. It had A and B in it. And you can simply add C. So from six months ago, you're protected for A and B. And today you're protected from, for A for, from C, but also A and B for another 12 months going out once the other one expires. Um, but you don't preserve that date for A and B. It's the new date, okay, once your 12 months expires from that. So I don't see any negative effect. I see nothing but positive effects. And really professional inventors will file multiple provisionals um, if there's something that they need, they missed out on. So it's not like you're stuck and you come up with improvement. You can't, just another 75 bucks. So I see nothing but positive stuff in filing additional PPAs. And so let's say a company shows a lot of interest and you say, well, you got multiple PPAs pending, then you can, hopefully they can give you the money. They give that to your attorney and you tell the attorney, look, I got multiple provisionals. You've been protected from those dates for the things you protected on those particular dates because they're going to reference the provisional patents and the full utility patent. So no, there's, there's nothing to worry about. Of course, you got to, like you said, you got to pay the 75 bucks for each PPA. So, um, but that's a very positive thing to do. Um, I mean, the only downside, I think, if you don't understand how PPAs work, but I've explained some of the basics. So um, let's see. Deidre had a question, but I didn't understand it. 
Deidre, okay, large manufacturers sent teaser to send to 45 possible companies showing my product. I don't know what that means. Is this promising PPA in place? Lots of phone calls and emails received. Okay, so she's saying she sent to 45 teaser. Okay, so she's saying she sent a teaser, never sent a teaser to 45 companies showing my product. And she's saying lots of phone calls and emails received. And is this promising PPA? I don't know what you're saying, Deidre. But um, never, so I'm just going to take a piece of what you wrote and say, don't do this. Don't tease them. That's just BS. This just waste wasting their time. Show them the advertisement they would show their customer. Would any company ever make a product like a tease where you're not fully getting what the product is just to be intriguing? That's just ridiculous. Never do that. Um, you always want them to understand what the product is. Now, if there's some sort of complex inner workings and that doesn't and you don't you don't need to show that in order to sell the core benefit. So that's not teasing them, but that's fine. But sell the core benefits so they can be intrigued by the product, but don't make it confusing or tease them. Um, so I'm kind of just taking, Deidre, just a piece of what you said because I don't understand your question and uh, making it my own question up. Um, if you want to type in more. Okay, you did type in more down here. Large manufacturing and distributing company has called numerous times. Many emails. Okay, great. They just wrote a teaser to get 45 companies to review my, oh, okay, to review my product. Is this good PPA, this good PPA in place? I read one simple idea. Okay, so that's our book. Um, no, you, that's a, I've never really, I don't normally see that. That's a little bit unusual. Um, when you said they're going to show it to 45 companies, I'm assuming they're going to show it to um, 45 retailers. That's a lot. Um, I wouldn't be concerned about it, but you filed your provisional patent application. When a company of potential licensee likes your product and they want to show it around to a retailer, go, what do you think? So that they, they, the buyer at the store can say, oh, I, I like this. This is interesting. I like this. What's the price point? That's nothing but a good thing. Um, little confused as to why it would be 45, though. That seems a little extreme. Um, sometimes the DRTV infomercial companies, they'll send an email out to an email list, a blast to like hundreds of thousands sometimes just to see if people will click on and buy it or they look at it or what have you. So I don't have enough information, Deidre, to go there, but normally that's a, a good thing. It's, it's not something I would be concerned about, but it's a little odd, 45 retailers. So I'm not completely getting it, but I don't have all the info. Um, Jeff said, I'm communicating with potential licensee in the meantime, I've contacted, connected with someone at the parent company. Talk to both, question mark. Ah, um, no. Once you make a connection with one person in the company and they're gonna, they say they're going to show it around, don't approach other people in the company once you've made that connection. So if you've, if you've made that connection, don't show it to somebody in the parent company. Um, let that person be your superman or superwoman within the company and do the best that they can to show it around and, and have good communication with them. But don't go, I wouldn't say it's behind their back. Now, Q 
keep showing it to more companies, other companies, but don't show it to a different parent company when they're part of that company. That's, you got to trust them, um, you know, definitely. Uh, let's see. Jay Bell uh, says, uh, love the idea of a student showcase. Yeah, it's just going to be a bunch of products or students of license in the background. It'll be kind of cool because when we're doing these Q&As, maybe I'll use some of them as examples. Um, so that'll be really nice. It's much better than this in incredibly plain background I got here right now. Um, thanks for the thumbs up, Robert. Hi, Hassan. Uh, other person said, hey, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. Don't you, don't you think it's funny when people, um, some guys, I, I work for this, I, I've worked for myself forever, but so this is when I was much younger. And this service guy in this company I worked for, for about a year and a half, he would just call everybody guy. Like he didn't want to remember anybody's name and just everybody was guy. Hey guy, hey guy. And he did it to everybody else too. And I'm like, we have names. Um, but uh, anyway, I just think it's funny. Um, okay, Deidre, uh, no, we answered that one. Okay, Michael said, I'd like to carry off from Radu's question. Could you propose a meeting of sorts with the company using an NDA, the company in question being an independent product developer-friendly company? Um, I forget what Radu was. We're talking about with Radu here. Okay, well, his was just, if it was complex, can you just show them the product? So let's see what you're saying here. Uh, Michael saying, no, companies aren't going to sign your NDAs, guys. And I think it's mostly attorneys that are telling you or making you believe that you should get every company to sign your NDA. Here's why that's not practical. And again, everything I share today is not legal advice. Talk to your attorney if you want legal advice. That's not what I'm offering here. What I'm offering you is practical real world advice. So if Let's say this company gets 200 ideas a month and every single inventor that wants to send them an idea has their own NDA. Is that practical? Imagine they got to get their own in-house legal staff or hire somebody if they don't have one um, to review every NDA to make sure they don't sign something that says uh, you're going to own their company or God knows what. You know, it's not practical. And so when when attorneys tell inventors get every company you show it to sign an NDA. It shows they have never licensed a product in their life. They have no freaking idea what they're talking about. Now, when you file, uh, now, am I going to say that never ever does it make sense? No, because, and sometimes people watch our YouTube show and they go, but Andrew, you said it. I'm like, well, there's always exceptions. So you filed your provisional patent application. That's your placeholder in time. Now, sometimes they'll say, well, we want you to sign our NDA. See, now that's a little bit different, right? So it's their NDA. Their attorney approved it and probably wrote it, and it's always the same, right? But the mo the thing is, most of the time it doesn't protect you. Most of the time it protects them. Sometimes it's somewhat bilateral, but it's not really going to protect you to sign their NDA. It just says things like, oh, we can't agree to keep what you sent us confidential, which is, again, very normal. Um, we... All, all sorts of different things that are going to protect them. Sometimes it's somewhat bilateral, but to think that they're going to sign your NDA when they don't even know what you've shown them yet, 
it's not practical, guys. You're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Now, if you show them your sell sheet and then later they want a prototype or they want some details, inner workings of it or whatever, asking them to sign an NDA then is usually perfectly fine because now it's not the 200 inventors they received ideas from that month, but it's the five that they showed interest in or what have you, right? But even then, like, is it really necessary? You filed your provisional patent application. You put your placeholder in time and what you're protecting. That's your paper trail. You put patent pending to put them on notice there. So to, to ask every company to sign an NDA is not practical. You guys can do it. You're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. You know, and we say this to our students very freely. I worry about saying it on a public, you know, Q&A. So I'm going to tell you, contact your attorney. They'll probably disagree with me, but ask them how many products they've licensed. Probably zero. Okay. So, and you filed your provisional patent application, but this perception that a non-disclosure agreement is some sort of like super strong protection is incorrect. It's not true. Um, but again, that's just my opinion. That's not a legal opinion. Okay. Um, Paul said, hi, Andrew, how much information should you include in a submission? If I send a sell sheet description, picture and video link, will they look at the pictures and not watch the video? Okay. So yeah, what a lot of our students do, Paul, it's a good, good question is you'll have a sell sheet, which is a one page PDF. And it'll have a picture or two of your product and it'll have a big benefit statement, a few bullet points. If you have a video as well, there's usually a link in there that says click here to watch the video, right? And that will go to an unlisted YouTube video. Unlisted means that nobody can see it except for people with the link. So it's essentially like a password. Um, so that's what most of our students do. If they're intrigued by the sell sheet and they see a link to click on and watch a video, they're going to do it. So usually our students will bake any video link into the sell sheet. Now, it's not like embedded. The video is not embedded. It's just a link to the YouTube page because that would just wreak havoc with corporate email servers when you embed videos in the cell sheets. I had somebody want to do that the other day. I always have somebody wants to do that. I'm like, that's going to look like a virus or look questionable. Don't don't be doing that. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> okay. Thank you, J-Bell. Uh, always lots of great info in your self-described rambling and blunt answers keeps me tuning in. Thank you. So you guys, uh, J-Bell likes, uh, that's not J-Bell. That's, yeah, it's J-Bell. Uh, likes, likes my rambles. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Tanya said, thank you, Andrew, for the transparency. You're welcome. That's what we're all about, guys. We're, we're extremely uh, transparent with the process. We don't, we don't sugarcoat things. We don't sell get rich quick. Um, we're, we're about keeping it real and we want to work with people that want to keep it real. We don't want to work with people that just want to have an idea and make no effort. Like I know that licensing is like a thousandth of the work of starting your business and making and selling the product yourself, but it's still work. And we don't want to work with people that just think they can have an idea and not do any work at all. You still got to reach out to those 20 or 30 companies. You have to have a decent sell sheet. You have to learn how to file a provisional patent. There's some stuff to do here, but it's stuff that anybody can do. Um, and we've had students that didn't have a GED, students that have a PhD, and everybody in, in between can do it. And sometimes it's the it's like the um, it's the nurse or the school teacher that does a better job of it than like some retired former CEO that's too got too big of an ego. So 
putting your ego aside, not being paranoid, having a work ethic. These are the things and the reasons why our students license products. Now, also, the coach is right on top of the student to make sure if they're having a misthought and they're guiding them from the get-go at the very beginning, that's very beneficial as well. But they can let the student know, like this weird thing, get this weird email from a, a potential licensee. And the coach can say, oh, that's going to happen all the time. We're always going to answer it like this. And then you get another email and the coach is like, that's just really weird. Like this one with they're going to send it out to 45 retailers. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm like, that's just odd. Now, I don't have enough info to answer it. But if I, you were a student and it was private, I would get into all the details and I go, OK, here's how we're going to approach it. Really weird, but not worried about it. We're going to approach it like this. So that's the benefit of, of coaching. Sorry, I guess that was a little bit of a sales pitch for our coaching. Um, but I think I earn it, right? I think I do. Um, what do we got? We got 18 minutes left. Uh, okay, I don't know. Jo Joanne, I think, you know, why do they want prior art? You know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, Joanne. I need to think on that. That's one I need to think on a little bit more. I'm just not concerned about it either way. Um, she was kind of asking with the American Vents Act and PPAs and why are they asking for this or that? Well, why do they want prior art if it doesn't matter? Well, who, who said you should put prior art in the PPA? I don't. So, yeah, I, I think that's one I'm just going to move on from. Um you can really go down rabbit holes with this patent stuff. I, I've seen over the years people get really, really creative with these very intricate patent problems. And I look at it and I go, I suppose that could happen, but I've never seen it in 20 plus years with students in 65 countries. And we have a lot of students, folks. Um, I've never seen it be a problem. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, you know, but then I'll look and I'll go, well, if it did happen, you could do this or that. Um, uh, Michael said, ever thought of individualizing your, your services to sell them a la carte? Um, of course, we've thought about it, but and we've done it in the past. It doesn't work. Um, without helping the inventor through the entire process, piecemealing it doesn't do work. I used to answer questions for free from different inventors. And I realized after a period of time, I was doing them a huge disservice. Later, they check in and I'm like, and they show me what they did. And I'm like, whoa, you went down a serious rabbit hole in the wrong direction. So the, the reason why we don't do a la carte services is we found if you're not right on top of the inventor every week with a one-on-one -on -one phone call and email constantly, that they'll just go way off track, make wrong assumptions. Like one company told them something. Now they're assuming this where when they're talking to their coach, the coach is like, no, that's not normal at all. Like, and they were just going, this is how it's always going to be. Like they were convinced. Like, so with, we know the only way we can do a good job is to stay right on top of the student through everything, getting them in the right mindset. Then they can say, I get it guys. I don't need you anymore. And they can become independent of us. So Michael, um, we don't do it because it's a recipe for disaster and we've tried and it's, it's horrendous. It's terrible. So the reason why we say, look, we're going to coach you throughout the whole process is because that's the only way we found that inventors will be successful. And most people don't do that. They just, 
most people are just trying to sell you a prototype, a patent, a this, a that. And, and it's like all disconnected. And I talk to inventors all the time. They're like, I got this stuff. I collected it. I got other people to do it for me. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, what are you, what are you going to do now? Like, you're going to reach out. Oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, so there's a ton of people out there just trying to sell inventor stuff, but it doesn't really get them to where they want to go. And they, they cater to the misperceptions new inventors have on what they really need. They, they play into it where we're the opposite. We're like, no, we're going against the grain. We're not saying, we're not just going, oh, let's just play with what inventors think they need when we know it's not. So we're just arrogant enough to go, no, this is what inventors really need to be successful, even though it's not what everybody's asking for, which is the guidance in the actual people. Steven has been talking about this, my business partner, other co-founder a lot. It's like, why, Andrew, why do people insist that they think they can be, be an inventor with no training whatsoever? Like if you want to be a football star or a plumber or uh, uh, um medical billing processor, none, none of you would ever think to do those things without some sort of training. But for some reason, inventors think like, oh, well, I need a patent, I need a prototype, and I need all this stuff. And then they just make these assumptions. And then they're just sitting there going, I don't know why this didn't work out. And my spouse is like pissed at me because I spent all this money. You know, so um, sorry, it's a really long answer, Michael, but the a la carte thing does not work, man. And And we would be we're not into doing things that don't work. We're into doing things that work. We're not like, oh, well, this is an easy way to make money from inventors. BS. That's bullshit. We, we want to do things that work. And that that's us. And it's probably hurt us because, you know, it'd be just easier to make money just giving inventors what they're looking for instead of what we know they really need. And maybe it sounds kind of arrogant too, but that's, that's who we are. Um <laughs> Robert said, idea, cut your wall out and engineer it to recess your display shelf so you don't have to have the camera backed off so much. I, I That's creative, Robert. I don't think my wife would appreciate that, but I think just moving my desk forward a little bit, um, I think that'll be easier. I think it's going to look cool. I got some gray wallpaper and I got these acrylic shelves. So I think, in theory, all the products will kind of look like they're floating and the products will be more emphasized rather than this big, giant shelf that's there and it's going to kind of space them out depending on the site. We'll see what it looks like. Come back next Monday and you guys will find out. Um, but I'm excited about it because I'm very proud of all the, the inventors that we've helped and their products and everything. So, um, uh, Zam said, hello, to help with some protection, especially with a novelty product, can a copyright be used for the sell sheet? Thanks. Um, yeah, you can put the little C in the copyright notice on anything. Um, so yeah, I would always do that. Why not? Um, but don't think like a copyright protects the invention itself. You know, I mean, now Zam's working on a novelty product and I, Zam, you're not an event rights student. As far as I know, we do have some event rights students because novelties, you got to go through a lot of products before you license one. We do have some event rights students that will not file a provisional for every novelty thing. They start to make friends and relationships with five, six, eight, 10, 12, 15 companies. And the company's like, yeah, just send me your stuff. And they can actually sometimes with novelty can kind of send slightly cruder presentations. And they just don't, they trust the companies and they don't want to be spending 75 bucks every time. That's not what we advise our students to do. We advise our students to always file a provisional. But in the novelty business, you need to go through some volume a little bit before you get one that hits. 
So we do have students that invent right students that are doing that because they've heard us talk about it being an option, although not what we recommend. So um, and now I think Zam's trying to go, oh, maybe I just copyright the cell sheet. Um, I'd say, you know, you just put a little C with a circle around it. Everything you do is automatically copyrighted. When I give this talk publicly on YouTube, it's automatically copyrighted for those of you who don't understand copyright. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that's fine, Zam. Put a little C with a circle around it. And I would still advise you um, to um, file a provisional patent for now until you get comfortable. If you're already comfortable with that, fine. Um, but, uh, you know, novelty companies aren't typically the types that really knock people off anyway. Um, Alex, can an individual create an LLC? Yes, you absolutely can. You can create a limited liability corporation. You can, uh, Alex. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, Mimi said, what kind of products can see an upfront? Oh, okay. An upfront payment. Or what type of circumstances? Um, Mimi, uh, asking for a bunch of upfront money is the best way to kill a licensing deal, okay? And when I've talked to inventors outside InventRight and they say crazy stuff like, well, I don't know, this is going to make them a lot of money. I asked for a quarter million upfront and they wouldn't give it to me. I was so pissed, Andrew. I'm like, no, they should be pissed at you for wasting their time for being a wacky inventor. That's not how it works, guys. So, you know, I think I said this on my last one, but let's say let's say it's a product that would be earning you $150,000 in uh, royalties a year. OK, so what is that? Five years. That's a that's a quarter million. That's that's three quarters of a million dollars after five years. Right. So let's say it's a product it's earning you some nice royalties, $150,000. And if, if you multiply it times five years, that's $750,000. OK, let's say that's that good of a product. Right. If you were asking for fifty thousand upfront, almost no company would give it to you, none. So you're much better getting paid on the back end. As they make money, you make money. It's an act of desperation to ask for much upfront money. And it's a lack of understanding on the inventor's part and what they're doing. So it depends on the product, of course. But they're spending usually tens of thousands, or maybe in some cases hundreds of thousands of product of of dollars to risk launching this product that may fail. But they're taking all that risk and you're going to take it back if they're not successful. So they're spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to take a risk on this product, getting people work in their company. They're paying those people money, right? The salary. Getting those people working in their company to launch this product and you're asking for 50K up front doesn't sit well with them. Even really big. Oh, but they're really big, Andrew. No, doesn't sit well with them. So you'll never get what it's worth up front. You shouldn't even ask for it. Now, to get a little money as an advance on royalties um, to pay for the patent, which will protect them and you, that's something you can quite often get. We guide our students to do. So I'm not saying you don't ask for a dime up front. Um, I think asking for a small amount of money is a good thing, but it could be pretty freaking small. And it probably should be. But you're going to have guarantees where if they don't perform, you're going to be able to take it back. So um, most of the time, what circumstances, Mimi, I would say to, to as an advance on royalties to get them to pay for the patent. So it's no money out of your pocket. That's you can get quite often. Sometimes they won't agree with that other. Maybe just in advance. Sometimes I have some students, they don't want to pay for the patent, but they can get a small advance on royalties and they just take that same money and they put it towards the patent. Same freaking thing. You know, um, so now what circumstance might it make sense? As I like I always say, it's not always black and white. 
Um, it would make sense. I think I said this on the last Q&A I did too, but I'm sure not all of you attended You know, every Q&A. I'd be flattered if you did. But um, if the company had, if you, Mimi, were selling the product, most of our students, you can just license a product. You haven't sold a single unit. You have no inventory. You know, It's just a concept and they license it. That happens all the time. But let's say, in which case it would make sense, let's say you've got 10,000 units in stock and you've got into 20,000 stores, you're essentially like selling the company and then maybe you're getting a licensing deal too. That would make sense to get upfront money, okay? And I could think of some other scenarios, but when you're just licensing your concept, you know, no. And not, oh, well, but I spent, you know, $40,000 on patents, so therefore you should give that to me upfront. Eh, maybe not, you know. Now, maybe getting some money as an advance on royalties, you can do that. So, but so that's the circumstance it might make sense, but it doesn't make sense the vast majority of the time. Uh, so let's see. So Mimi, I hope that was helpful. Uh, let's see. Uh, Derek. Hi, Andrew. I'm, I'm Derek, and I plan on being an InventRight student. I know it's a process. So when is the proper time you can move forward with other inventions after interest is shown in the first? Okay. When is the proper time you can move forward? Well, first of all, it's really cool. If you want to become an InventRight student, I go to InventRight, I click on the contact us page and I would talk to Sylvia or Dana, just so you have, and they're really chill. They're not going to hard sell you or anything, just so you know what's involved. And you may learn things about the membership you didn't know. So I would do that. Now, the second part of your question is, when is the proper time you can move forward with other inventions after interest is shown in the first? Well, I'll give you, so when we have students, if you're going to become an InventRight student, um, I always say to come out of the gate, and we have actually a policy about this, to come out of the gate with three products. I'm an InventRight student. You tell your coach, I want to launch these five products like right now. That's a recipe for disaster because you're going to be doing everything five times, or let's say if it's three products, three times. You have to file three PPAs, three sell sheets, three lists of companies, three this, three that. It's overwhelming. And we used to let students do that back in the day. They got overwhelmed. So now our rule is, as an event rights student, then I'll also share as a non-event rights student, that you need to get the initial LinkedIn messages and calls in for project number one. And then you're not, you're just in follow-up mode. So then you could start working on project number two. But Monday rolls around, you're pushing out via LinkedIn and via the phone for project number one again. So do not neglect your first project uh, for your second one. Always make your first project a priority on following up and following through. And sometimes we'll have students like, they, they're, I think I'm going to work on this next project. I'm like, well, so how are you doing with the first? Well, I got 15 no's. How many are on your list? 30. You're not done. Your first priority is that. Now, if you follow up on Monday, you're in the, you can, for the rest of the week, you can work on project number two, but Monday rolls around, you're following up on number one again. So that's, so that's my take if you're an event rights student. And to be honest, that's my take if you're not an event rights student. You, know, you always want to make your older project a priority. So you can have a pipeline. You could have two, three, four, five, six. I have students that have like 15 products in their pipeline. That's ridiculous. Most people don't do that. If you're very organized, it's not ridiculous at all. Um, but always make your older project your priority. Don't start getting flaky with it. If you haven't got a no from everybody, you're not done. And even then you're not done, uh, you know, because you can always reach back out six months later and you might get them a different mood. So um, always make your older project a priority. 
and then kind of work back from there. And then Monday rolls around. That's just an example. You could set it up however you want. You go back to project number one. You got that done there. Then you get your done number two. And then you're like, well, I can work on my third project now. But Monday rolls around. You're working back on number one, number two, then number three. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, I've given this a lot of thought. And that isn't just something I'm pulling on my butt. I'm telling you, that is the way you should do it. Otherwise, you're going to overthink things. You're going to quit before you should. You know, you, you got to be like a robot and follow up. Okay. Um, okay. Pony, Pony says, I have not only finished packaged bath product in the $20 price point, but I also have the manufacturing packaging and commercial delivery infrastructure in place. Should I go for licensing or should I do my own retail and wholesale sales? So there is no right or wrong, Pony. I mean, it's what's right for you. Um, so here's the thing. Some people think that they're going to make more money selling it themselves, but they sell 5,000 units a year and they go, well, I got a 20% profit margin, Andrew. I'm like, well, run the numbers. If you sell 5,000 units a year and you have a 20% profit margin or this other big company you license to it, and you're getting a, let's say a five to 8% royalty, and they're selling 400,000 units, you, you do the math, you know? So um, also people don't usually have the ability to quit their day job. They don't have enough money to float because the money goes out and it doesn't come back. For most products, you need a couple hundred thousand dollars just to get started to float the cash because it goes out and they don't pay you. It doesn't come back for a while. You get it manufactured and it doesn't come back for a while. Uh, Pony, it sounds like you you have some experience with with manufacturing, so you have to figure out what's right for you. I would say the fact that you got all that lined up is great, which you don't have to have all that lined up. I would approach another thing about licensing is when you're first to market is better protection than any patent. So if you got this big, huge company, they're going to get it out there in a much bigger way, much faster than you ever could, hopefully, and most of the time. Than if you sold it yourself. So that if you think about protection, that's better protection. If you're trying to sell a little bit here, a little bit there, you're just giving everybody plenty of opportunity to knock you off. So think about a big potential licensee that can sell a lot of units, probably more than you, as a form of protection. But there's it's what's right or wrong for you. I can't tell you which way you should go. You should figure out what's right. If you've done it before many times, great. If you've never done it before, you may have done up good at this point, but man, you got you got a world of hurt coming your way. And that's good and bad hurt, but you got, when you're venturing your product and selling it yourself, you're going to go through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of problems. And that's with your money, not their money, it's your money that you're risking. But if you have a lot of experience with that, you know, you could go that direction. Uh, what I think is everybody that's thinking about venturing their product, they're like, I don't even want to license. You can learn a lot by trying to license it because they'll give you feedback when they like and don't like about it. And if you don't end up being able to license it, you could then go back to what you were doing. Now, most people, I don't advise doing that. If you can't license it, you put it in the closet for a little bit, not the garbage can. You move on another product, another product. And then six months passes, you push it back to all the companies that said no. And you see if you get somebody like they're in a different mood. They were just busy before. They actually liked your product, but they said not at this time, not a right match. You know, I get students licensing stuff all the time that way. So every time you don't license your first product, should you then try to make it and sell it yourself? But, oh, this is the greatest product. So I'm going to do this no matter what. I don't care if I'm mortgaging my family's house and my wife might divorce me. I'm still going to do it anyway. Everything for the product. And it's like, you know, you got to. So I'm just kind of exaggerating to get you guys thinking. But 
So I can't tell you which way you should go, Pony. You should look at the potential. What I would do is try to license it and then see what kind of deal you can get on the table. And maybe you like it. Maybe it ends up being smaller. Company. Uh, no, I think I'd rather do it myself. Maybe it's a really big company like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and see if you get the interest. And then if you don't and you're already set up to manufacture, which it sounds like you are, I don't know if you're. I don't know if you have experience at it. Being set up and getting to the point where you are is one thing. Having experience at it is a whole other thing. And then you could be like, oh, okay, I didn't get interest, but I got some great feedback. I even tweaked my product. So now I'll save myself from making some mistakes if I'm venturing it myself. So but most inventors I've found licensing is a better way to go. Do not dump a project just because you couldn't license and go, well, I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm going to show them. I'm going to start my own company. And you didn't really want to run your own company. You know, or you couldn't really run it because you got a job or you don't have the money or you don't want to risk the money. So but there's no right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with selling a product yourself. It's just not right for most inventors, I've found. But you might be one of the inventors that is right for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good suggestion, Sam. Sam said, how about a digital screen behind you scrolling successful student sell sheets? You know, I don't know. On video, sometimes if, if it I could have a little small monitor in addition to all the products that would scroll some different sell sheets. But I think for now, I'll just go with um, our students' products on the shelf behind me um, that I'm going to create. If you guys are joining us late, I'm going to get our students' products on a shelf behind me and some new wallpaper and stuff. Um, but that is a good suggestion, Steve. I appreciate that. Maybe like my iPad Pro. I don't know if it would you'd be able to see stuff. It might be a little annoying having something running in the background like a video screen. Um, but that's an interesting. Thank you, Sam. That's an interesting thought. Um, okay, guys, I don't have time for any more questions. I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. If I didn't, I answered a ton of questions. So just get here sooner and ask your questions and more than likely it'll get answered. Um, if you guys can do me a solid, um, I spent a whole hour answering your questions for free. If you could subscribe to our channel, if you didn't click on subscribe, you can click on reminders too when I'm going live, that little bell, I think that, that works. And then give us a thumbs up, watch a bunch of our YouTube videos, give us thumbs up. But if you're not subscribed, I'd love to get to 80,000 subscribers in six or eight months. I don't know if that's realistic. We're at 50,000 something. Um, that would be really, I'd really appreciate that. And like our videos, comment on our videos. That would be great. So um, let's see. Uh, so Pony, thank you. And um, thank you, everybody else, too. Thank you so much. I remind everybody to take care. Keep inventing. I'm going to go pick up my dog from the vet because um, she got her, uh, her her teeth clean. They had to put her under to clean her teeth. I thought that was kind of crazy. I got two dogs, one perfect teeth. They're both sisters, exact same age. And one they're, was looking all brown. So I don't know. It's just genetics, I guess. It's kind of weird. Sisters, but, you know, so I got to go pick her up. And it costs more than a teeth cleaning for my myself, which <laughs> is kind of crazy. But anyway... Take care, everybody. Keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye.